0: Welcome, everyone, back to our Surma Pod. This is our uh, every other week podcast on all issues involving risk, law, claims, insurance, involving the uh, sports and entertainment industry. I am the CEO and founder of Surma, the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance, Rich Lenkov. Today, we're covering a very interesting and perhaps groundbreaking lawsuit involving non-fungible tokens. We've got a an expert on this subject, someone who recently wrote an article in Forbes about the Quentin Tarantino versus Miramax. Miramax actually is suing Quentin Tarantino. Um, Neil, Elan. Neil, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Neil's a senior counsel at Stubbs, Alderton, and Marquilas. His practice consists primarily of business, commercial, and entertainment intellectual property, litigation both state and federal court. Neil's particularly knowledgeable about the technical aspects of NFT transactions and primitives on different blockchains, including Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, Solana, Tezos. He works closely with prominent NFT artists, collectors, and creatives, gives presentations to businesses on NFT technology and legal issues, and has been involved in the NFT space since 2020. So, Neil, um, I'm a huge Tarantino fan, huge fan of Pulp Fiction. Uh, he, Tarantino, hand-wrote, almost famously hand-wrote this script for this movie back in the early 90s. Came out in 1994. He made a deal with Miramax to distribute his film. Um, and fast forward to today, where Tarantino uh, was one of the most prominent director's artists to announce that he is intending to sell pieces of this piece of art, specifically parts of this handwritten transcript. I think he announced that uh, he was going to sell by auction, seven different segments of this handwritten script. Very notably, I mean, one of the, again, one of the most popular um, films in the last, you know, 40, 50 years. I think he won the Oscar for screenwriting for that film, if I recall correctly. So obviously a very important piece of art in the screenplay As he mentioned when he made this announcement, he crosses off names of characters. You know, John Travolta's character goes from Edgar Vega to Vincent Vega. He makes corrections all in Tarantino's uh, own handwriting. So obviously a very personal piece of art. Um, Many liken it to a Picasso or Rembrandt. Miramax, who contracted with Tarantino to release the film, says not so fast you don't have the right to release that and sell that. That's part of our property, part of the contract that we made back in the 90s. Pick it up from there, Neil.
1: Yeah, so that, that's exactly what is going on. And so in 93, 94, a series of license and related agreements were entered into between Tarantino, his production company, and Marinette Max. And like any contract, those set forth um, the party's rights to distribute, to publish, distinguish between rights to the screenplay, um, rights to the film. And so at the time, obviously, NFTs were not a thing. And so fast forward to present day, well, the question becomes, did Tarantino have the right to launch the NFT? And just let me rewind for about 30 seconds, just to give everyone kind of a preview. What is an NFT? An NFT is a non-fungible token, and it's this digital property right, this authentication, this certification on a blockchain that can be private or public, and it says, I am the owner of this. You can think of it like a digital file. And um, with the NFT, everyone can immediately see who owns it, when they acquired it, what wallets it's sitting on, what they're doing with it. And so Tarantino launched this um, in collaboration with um, another party, Secret Labs. um, They launched this NFT. And this NFT was a collectible. Think about it like Pokemon cards, or if you're a Star Wars fan and you really want that Darth Vader mask. So who would be purchasing this? An enthusiast who would want it for sentimental um, reasons or collectability reasons. And so the um, NFT contained um, some portions of his handwritten scripts, um, handwritten notes, um, some audio in visual files, um, some commentary from him as to what was going on in his mind at the time um, of writing the script. And so Miramax said, not so fast. We have the right under the contract. So what does the contract say? Well, the contract says that most of the rights were given to Miramax. Tarantino granted most of the rights to uh, Miramax in terms of production, um, development, um, all, all rights to the copyright and trademark, and Tarantino reserved some limited set of reserved rights with respect to um, print publication, um, screenplay publication um, for books and comic books, um, whether in electronic or um, or, or, or regular printed um, form. And so Tarantino says, wait, I have the right. This is a screenplay. These are my handwritten notes. And so it falls within my reserved rights. And Miramax says, no, because you're borrowing from other aspects of the um, film, it, it, that the motion picture that um, we produce and we have the rights to, um, in terms of copyright and trademark. And so the dispute concerns and centers around the issue of whether um, this NFT um, it falls within Tarantino's right to um, to commercialize um, print publication of the screenplay.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know. Thank you for that excellent summary, by the way. So one of the key questions I think will be: what is the definition of publication, right? I mean, traditionally, how have courts looked at that term, and how do you think they'll apply it here?
1: Yeah, and so this this comes up. This is a recurring theme in any contract dispute. This happens to be an NFT. But in any case, the court really wants to know what were the intention of the parties. And so the court's going to probably, the judge is going to put himself in the shoes of the parties in 1993. At that time, NFTs weren't a thing. And so at that time, um, print publication usually meant, well, what if someone wants to write a sequel? What if Tarantino wanted to develop a new character? What if T- Tarantino wanted to, to to use a character from the um, screenplay that he wrote and, and create a book, a children's book, a comic book. And so from that perspective, which has been emphasized by Miramax, um, it, it, it arguably um, may not lend itself support for the position that it is within Tarantino's right because it wasn't contemplated at that time. Um, and so that issue of interpretation and kind of what the parties intended at the time is one way to look at it. It's not the
0: By the way, a, a children's book version of Pulp Fiction is right up my alley. Forget all the ABCs and you know fairy tales. I want I want more of the wolf. I want more bloodshed in my uh, in my kids' books. Um, so the intent of the parties is really interesting, of course, because you know we're trying to apply concepts, intellectual property concepts that are very relevant today and growing in relevance to the early '90s. And as you've said a couple of times, that wasn't a thing. So how do you think? the court will look at the intention of the parties in in drafting this contract when it comes to this idea that literally wasn't even in existence when they drafted it. That's a really difficult uh, uh, endeavor.
1: Will will courts start with the the four letters of the contract? So what does the the word mean? What does print publication mean? And so from that perspective, um, it, it means the right to develop content based on the screenplay. And so his handwritten notes probably would fall within um that language that Tarantino might have the right to um launch the NFT. But to the extent that the NFT incorporates other audio and visual visual um aspects that are borrowed from um or are derived from the the motion picture, it 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 gets a little blurry and fuzzy. And so the court is going to want to look at the actual definition and, and that term is not defined in the, um, in the contract, but based on custom at the time, the judge will get a good feel as to what exactly print publication um, in screen, screen publishing means, screenplay publishing means. And then from that, the, the judge is going to have to analyze the NFT and kind of come up with a diagram as to what elements. Um, are in the NFT in terms of audio, visual, screenplay, and then um, make a determination based on that.
0: You know, how relevant is the fact that this is, you know, not a prop or something or not a trading card, but this is a work of art. Unquestionably, in my mind, no different than a painting or a sculpture. This is something that Quentin Tarantino, again, many people like and many people don't. I think he's one of the great directors. Sat down in L.A., you know, many years ago and hand-wrote. And how relevant would it be the fact that literally he, you know, this reflects changes on the fly and his own impressions and some artwork, you know, versus just something that maybe someone else created. The fact that it's very intimate from this uh, artist has to be relevant.
1: It's not irrelevant. um, And it does come into play. um, And he kind of, um, Quentin Tarantino stages the case as Miramax trying to bite the hand that fed them. So, um, yeah, a re- reflection of his kind of creative outlet, his, um, his, his mental impressions. Um, but at the end of the day, even if you're a creator, you enter into a contract. And for society to function, we have to rely and give credence and full faith and credit into these contracts. And so um, it, it, it does come into play. But to the extent that the NFT did incorporate um, portions that were assigned IP portions, IP rights that were assigned to Miramax, then um, I don't think the judge would overlook the fact that it reflected his Tarantino's creative um, impressions um, while ignoring the, the four letters, uh, the four corners of the contract.
0: Neil, uh, very profitable film. It was made for about $8 million and has grossed worldwide to date about $220 million, somewhere in that range. How much of a factor is that, number one, um obviously the fact that you know there's a lot of money at stake means that the the parties are invested right people usually don't sue over unsuccessful ventures number one how relevant is that number two what kind of dollars are we talking about what are the damages involved in this case given that nfts are not something that you could put a set price on right it's very much a function of the popularity of the nft and the uh, demand for it so maybe you could segue into that but first How relevant is the profitability of the film and and what kind of damages are we talking about?
1: Well, the the profitability of the film could come into play when, uh, based on Miramax's claim that it's causing confusion and it's leading others in the public to believe that Tarantino is um, misappropriating or commercializing um, IP that belongs to such a successful franchise, such a successful film, such uh, successful and um, well-known, well-established IP. Um, but in in terms of the specific NFT, um, I believe that there were about seven or eight NFTs that were going to be auctioned. And one, the first one sold for about 1.1 or 1.2 million. And so the, the rest of them were put on hold in light of, um, to my knowledge, in light of the dispute. Um, and, and perhaps for other reasons as well, such as kind of changes in the NFT marketplace. Um, part of that hype cycle um, I, I can't attribute what caused the rest of the um, auctions to stop but the truth the the bottom line is not all of them were sold so we're looking at about 1.2 million dollars in money that was given by the purchaser to Tarantino and however it was split um, with the other nft um, developer launcher party and so that that's your range of damages um, and um, it, it could be more, um, but it, I, I think that kind of $1.2 million would, would be at least my initial reaction, not having seen um, any other calculation of damages in the lawsuit.
0: It'll be interesting to see if the lawsuit, the litigation, um, increases or decreases the value of the NFT, right? On the one hand, you could argue that uh, if uh, Tarantino is successful, then it's uh, litigation proof and the value increases. On the other hand, anytime you're dealing with litigation – It automatically decreases the value of something people don't want to touch it as much but i'm interested in knowing how contracts have evolved right i mean now obviously hollywood studios are entering into contracts that deal with nfts to avoid uncertainty like this so how uh has the industry learned and changed contracts with artists in the nft era
1: um well this is kind of um we're we're this is a grassroots movement right now um we're we're still very early We're, we're we're Probably before the first inning, we're at the warmups um in batting practice. And so I, I think studios are still experimenting and thinking, and a lot of these issues haven't played out yet. But definitely there has to be um, some recognition by the parties that a lot of IP will be created and developed through NFT technology. And so you have to take into account, well, what is a blockchain? How are rights transacted through a blockchain? How does one protect their rights? What if someone sells an NFT to a third party, but um, they don't don't know who that third party is because it's all on a blockchain and you might know their digital wallet address, but you don't know their name. And so this kind of, this issue, um, when analyzed in the context of how our digital lives are changing um, raises um, important questions and red flags and issues for all attorneys and creatives to kind of understand, well, how do we think life will be tomorrow, and how do we set forth our rights to provide as much certainty in light of this changing landscape?
0: It's a great point, and it sort of um, you know relates back to what I said earlier that a purchaser might be buying a liability if they buy an NFT. How do I know? If I buy an NFT you know, today, is there a a title search is there some kind of uh, clarity that I have as a purchaser to know that I'm not buying a liability? that's something that someone else owns, might be subject to a, a lawsuit down the road. I mean, this is all, of course, uncharted territory. But how do consumers protect themselves from being sued as the owner of this of this property?
1: Well, um, yeah, it's it's not entirely clear. You buy anything subject to any claims that a third party might have over the IP, and so there's no guarantee, but um, you would, in many NFT transactions, there are terms and conditions and representations and warranties, no different than when you lease a car or, or rent something, you, you sign your life away. And mm-hmm. so it would depend on what the boilerplate language as part of that NFT transaction would state. Um, maybe the seller states, it disclaims any liability and states that um, he, she, or it is not aware of any third party or adverse claims to the extent there are any, um, a, a, a unless it can be established that the, the seller was aware of a third party claim then all um, all, all liability or all or, or risk would fall on the purchaser. I don't know if that would hold up in, in the court of law, but um, yeah, it, it, it's, it, there are open ended questions and the issue of nft doesn't abstract away from that problem that occurs in traditional pre-nft licensing deals Um, i I do want to add though that a benefit of nft and this is little segue into kind of the the bigger picture is that it is tantamount to an excel spreadsheet database and so um, let's say that there's a collection of 100 nfts belonging to pulp fiction this is just a hypothetical example and um I can see based on looking online, kind of like a Google search, but on the blockchain, I can see the smart contract address for each of those 100 NFT collection, uh, NFTs that comprise the collection. And so I know if I am buying the real one that's authenticated and part of the collection or Joe Schmo from some, uh, that is trying to create a hundred imposter ones, kind of like going to Canal Street and buying a fake purse. So, because everything's online and authenticated and traceable, it does give the buyer some clarity in knowing whether he or she is buying an original.
0: And Neil, to that point, I mean what do you get? If I purchase this NFT from Quentin Tarantino and I own, you know, the part of the script, I understand I see actual a tangible thing. It's a script with notes on it. What else do I own in addition to that? In other words, what are my rights upon possession of this in this case, you know, uh, pieces of paper.
1: Well, it would depend on um, it would depend on the terms and conditions and um, the scope of the license granted. Whether um, the purchaser would have the exclusive um, right to that um, to um, exploit it, or, or maybe they would just be given a license. So that would have to be spelled out in the NFT what the purchaser can do with it. And what the seller, whether the seller has any reserve rights and what the extent of those rights are, could Tarantino then come out with a part two of a, a NFT launch collection and um, use elements from that uh, part one? Um, it, it would have to be spelled out in the contract. Generally, for copyrighted works, um, the purchaser has a license, and um, the, the the original seller, the creator, does retain. Um, much of the IP rights. And so in the absence of anything spelled out contrary, that would probably hold true here. Um, But what else you can do with it? Well, um, everyone thinks of NFTs as kind of the speculative investment. And and given where we are now, that's how a lot of people view it. I don't necessarily think that that's where all of the um, business entrepreneurial spirit is gonna go in the applications. Um, I think there are gonna be networks built around these. And so what if um, Tarantino in five years come out with another NFT collection and he wants to create a fan base. He doesn't have to go to a studio or some talent agency to really be able to interact with his fans. What if he can instead say, you know what? Everyone who holds uh, one of my NFTs can now vote um, as to what screenplay I should write next, or can now be featured in my next film. And so what it is, is it, in theory, and depending on what the creator wants to do with it, it can create this aligned incentives and this direct relationship between the holders and the, um, the creator.
0: You know, what's the status of the lawsuit currently, um, and what do you expect to happen with it? I mean, it's hard to predict exactly, but uh, let us know your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the
1: trial... Um, is now scheduled for late February, I believe of 2023, February 28th, if my uh, memory serves me correctly. And um, the parties are in the process of settlement discussions. whether it will settle or not remains to be seen, but to the extent it does not um, settle, then the parties will have to uh, push full steam ahead and prepare for trial. And there is a pending um, motion by Tarantino Seeking to knock out the case on the basis that, um, a- as a matter of while, Max does not have a claim or, or a case because all rights were assigned to um, Tarantino.
0: Neil, finally, any other interesting cases uh, NFT wise in the pipeline?
1: Yeah, there are a few. Uh, there are about, I would say, about five or six cases that um, many NFT uh, attorneys would know about in the space. One that comes to mind is um, Hermes is suing. An artist who created these digital meta Birkin bags, a play on the Birkin bags, and, um, Hermes is claiming that the artist didn't have the right to, to do that. And so the issue in that case is whether, um, it, it, it violates the trademark, um, and, um, whether, whether the artist is Selling it as a digital as a digital wearable or in the alternative whether the seller is making a some political or um social commentary and it would be um if that was the case it would be more likely that it would be permissible and so that's one case another case is um nike um is is suing this online retailer called stockx and what stockx does at a very general level is they um it's a platform where people can resell items. And so um, it adds a layer of authenticity. And so if you own shoes and you want to sell through my platform, you send the shoes to um, StockX. StockX has a distribution retail, uh, a physical plant center somewhere, and they verify, authenticate that it's accurate and correct and not counterfeit. And then um, they give that stamp on its website, so a third-party um, purchaser can know that it's authenticated and, and, and legitimate. And so what they did was to kind of add that layer of comfort. They created an NFT for each shoe um, that was sent to them and sold on their marketplace. And so um, the NFT corresponding with one of the Nike Air Jordans, um, Nike claims that that's infringing on its IP rights. And um, StockX is claiming, no, this was just part of the authentication process. We're not actually selling anything um, belonging to Nike we're just kind of giving it a, a check mark or a stamp saying that this is what it says it's
0: it Neil Elon senior counsel at Stubbs all and Markilis. also check out his excellent article on this very subject on forbes.com um, and to all of our viewers and listeners I'll remind you to uh, say what again say what one more time I I, I dare you I double dare you that's, of course, a great quote from Pulp Fiction, one of many. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for joining us on the CERMA pod. Please come back and update us on this very important case.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.